0: this is Joseph Gervasi. I'm here with Dennis McHugh. Today is June 18th, 2013. We're recording this interview at Tattooed Mom on South Street in beautiful, rainy Philadelphia. Uh, and on a personal note, I'm glad to be back doing the interviews again after a short hiatus, and I'm very glad that I'll be talking to Dennis today about stuff. So, I guess we will begin um, with your hatching. Uh, so, where, where was your egg hatched, and uh, when? were
1: you born? Uh, I I was raised in North Philly and uh, I was lucky enough to be able to come to Center City through like working you know like throughout high school and this was like let's go back a little
0: bit a little bit uh so what what year were you born?
1: I was born in 62 so like you know it was like it was a different time I guess you know like you know and uh and what was your
0: neighborhood what was a part of North Philly you were in It was
1: a blue collar red brick neighborhood you know very like you know very structured, very Catholic, very, you know, very, like, cut and dry, you know what I mean? It was just like, you know, everybody just went to work, and everybody went to Catholic school, and, and that was it, man, you know. So you
0: were raised Irish Catholic?
1: Totally Irish Catholic, yeah. yeah. I'm a first-generation American, and uh, my folks both came over from Ireland, and... So why fun. did they
0: decide to come here?
1: Uh, just because there was an influx of people coming. It wasn't like the famine or nothing. It wasn't that far back, you know, really? but... It was just opportunities in America that weren't available in Ireland you know like uh, more job opportunities because folks are from uh, Donegal which is more of a farming industry you know and it's and it wasn't like a farming industry like in the middle of USA where you have like all these great tractors and all this kind of production work it, it was like basically hand farming you know and the, the sheeping and you know like you know because Donegal's known for his hills so a lot of sheep, like there were sheep herders, basically. Mm-hmm. So then, what did your father do when he came over here? My father came over here and he was driving a bus, and he was also running certain things, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, you know? and uh, you know, and he was a bartender, and and that was all going on up in Islande in Philadelphia, which was uh, a big Irish enclave at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So, young you, what
1: were your interests as a as a young person? My interests were like, uh, you know, basically rock and roll, and you know, after hearing the Stones, and I was just that's it, man. You know, everything's got to come up to the standard. Uh, if it's as good as the Rolling Stones, then it's crap. Yeah. Right, right. So uh, when
0: when were you introduced to the Stones? and how young?
1: Uh, you were? I think like when I was ten, I got Exile on Main Street from my aunt for for Christmas, and that was the record that I still still my number one record, man. It's crazy.
0: A great one to get number one right? yeah
1: and uh you know i play that all the time and uh and i played it all the time i still have the original one i have man and it's all worn out and it's great i know every scratch i know every like you know like gritty riff in it you know and it's like so good and that's just like the defining moment for me like and like that was the standard everything has to be this good or it's not nothing you know it's not good at all then you know right yeah, yeah you know so who are your other
0: bands a- around that same time, or as you got a little bit?
1: Well, you know, everybody like Alice Cooper was like huge, man, and like he was just great, man, just like great sound, great like everything about Alice. And then the Dolls, when I found the Dolls and I found Iggy, it was like whoa, you know, like I was like blown away. And then. Couple of years later, here come the Ramones, and like that was the end of it, man. It was just like there's nothing like this, man, because I used to read all the magazines, you know, and keep up with all this stuff because there's no internet, you know. Mm-hmm. So you got the Rock Scene, you got the Circus, you got the Cream, you know, you got all that stuff, you got all the information, you know. And here comes this whole thing coming out of New York, like all the punk stuff, man. It's like, whoa, what is going on, man? It's just fucking cool, man. These guys look amazing, man. You know. So do you see this as a sort of continuation of the sort of rock and roll that you
0: liked, or as a as a major break?
1: I thought it was just what I liked, you know, and I feel it was just like more real, and it's happening now for me. Where like my uncle George O'Neill, who used to play for the Glasgow Celtics, who actually married my my aunt, he was there when the Stones broke, you know, in '62, and he was at the shows and everything else, you know. And the thing with him was like like the energy of that moment, like was unbelievable, you know, like to be there, like when this was going down and with the excitement of everybody hearing this for the first time, you know, it's nothing they can compare it to, you know, and mm-hmm. this is the way when the Ramones came, the Clash came, it was like, it was just like earth shattering for me, man, you know? Yeah, it was yeah. just like like unreal, you know? And for me to fall into center city town then, you know, and be working and listening to this and then fall into center city and then I run into like people at like JC Webster from the King of Siam. They had a studio in, in my building where they were just like, you know, like, I was like, wow, these guys got a band and stuff. Now JC Webster and Bob Dickey they were both there in the King of Siam, and now they're in the Strap and Field Hands. Then I ran into Pete Baker from the Stick Man on the street and start talking to him. And so, wait, what year is this about? This is probably 78. Okay. Yeah, and uh, it was pretty amazing. And so, Pete Baker, and next thing I know, like, you know, like going to see the Stick Man, at, like, you know, Omnis and like all these other places, it was just like, see them live was just the most amazing thing ever man that band was just unstoppable man they just put out like 300% in every performance there's no other band except for ruin that really delivers that hard and that tight of a sound where they can stop on a dime turn around bring it all 180 degrees and then come right back at you like with this like what like amazing like visual and, and like, like sound and it's just like well there's only five guys doing this it's like it's a wall of sound. Yeah, like,
0: Stickman is they've come up in a lot of the interviews that I've done with people yeah. who are on the somewhat older end of the, of the interview subject spectrum the people who saw them seem to really love them and I think they've kind of largely forgotten from people who didn't get a chance to see them.
1: They are it was more of a visual and not only sound but the visual presentation which is out of this world it was just like you know what I mean? And, and they did
0: record a record, right?
1: They recorded two records. I ended up being roommates with Pete in nineteen eighty when I graduated high school. I moved into a loft with him and his fellow Lon- Lon van man and this little dancer called Wendy Benson. Stuck in and, stuff. and uh, it was a great household. It was at Thirteenth and Arch, and it was called Pentoni's and it was on top of a black transvestite bar, and it was. It was pretty uh, amusing. But Did you the, deal with the, the clientele at all? Yeah, like to get in and out of the house. And uh, everybody was really cool to us because previously before there, uh, this fella, Ricky Arcoli, who became a famous photographer who released a book, lived there and they, they always thought I was Ricky because I had black hair and, you know, like dressed similar in black, you know? And they're like, Ricky, and i would be like, i just wave, you know, but like, you know, it was cool, you know, and uh, Mark from No Milk lived there previously before me. And thank God for Mark from No Milk, like one day his insurance car came and Pete Baker's like, you know, this is this is good, man. Keep this. You get toothpaste. Go to the doctor, and sure enough, you know, like, <laughs> so you <became> him <laughs> yeah, yeah, to to You know, right. Yeah. That's good. So it was pretty cool, you know. And Mark loved that story when I told him, like, like a year later, man. So he <laughs> <get, get too laughs> good use
0: out of it. Yeah.
1: So what was Philly, in some way?
0: What was Philly like in the late seventies? Uh,
1: Philly was a ghost town, man. It was a ghost town. Have you ever seen the movie Trading Places? You got uh, not to go so crazy, but like there's a part of South Street in there where uh, the one character lives. That's Jamie Lee Curtis, and she's like a hooker. She goes like on the 700 block of South Street. It is just like a war zone, man. And that's the way like South Street was past Fifth Street, you know. Okay. That was just a war zone, and like that really captures it. Like well, I'm glad that movie's around because I always watch it when it's on just for that scene, you know. <laughs> and it just cracks me up, and and I could walk. I had a dog even back then, I had a black lab, and I would walk him from Fertif and Arch all the way down to Penn's Landing on a Sunday morning, we wouldn't see one soul, not one tourist, not one person, nobody, you know, and it wasn't that early in the morning, it was like, you know, like 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, you know? There was, there was, was a tremendous contrast to yeah, what it is now. you know,
0: yeah. yeah. So do you think that the fact that it was, it was so ramshackle kind of gave people a little more freedom to do things kind of outside of, you know, the L&I or the police or something?
1: yeah you know except you know we you're still running the problem like they really like like had tight grips on us at the same time like you know like because like the best visual description is kind of like taxi driver you know like the way the city looked back then you know because mm-hmm. philly was always like 10 years behind new york you know what i mean no matter what it's doing right like, you, know, you, know? you know the way cigarette tax is going to go up now you know what i mean Like we're still 10 years like behind of yeah, what yeah. they're doing you know but uh yeah, man, the, like the visual is just like amazing, like the difference now, and, uh, I'm sorry, what was the other thing that you mentioned about that? it?
0: Well, did you get it, do you think that there was a greater sense of freedom to be able to do things because, you know, maybe I or the city or the police weren't paying as close attention?
1: Actually, they were to the punk, though, and it was hard for us to do much because, you know, we had to have our ducks in a row. We were lucky that we were down to like, like, let's say it. At love hall and it was like nobody wanted to deal with that everybody's inside we didn't let nobody hang outside you know except until the show was over it was so hot you know
0: why do you talk a little bit about love hall and explain what the what this was I mean, it's, it's kind of covered in some other interviews but cool. i wanted to
1: hear what you well had. well love club started out as love club right and that was actually on the corner of broad and south now love club was run by chris Bowes, who was this artist and visionary We wanted to put like just like a small little bar together, and he had great people working there, over like Lana Lang and people would be DJing like off like like you know like just little like you know like small little things and a jukebox, and it was a great bar, you know. It was just a place where people could meet, and next thing you know, like all right, man, starting a lot of music now, you know. So So what
0: year is this that the music started to come in?
1: I'd say early '80s, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm really bad with ears, so like don't peg me against the wall on this That's shit, funny. man, you know, right? <laughs> so like, uh, so like they started having a lot of bands, so like King of Cyan is playing now, okay? Like, you know, like, you know, Stickman can do a set, you know, and it's like, whoa, you know, like, now it's really happening, you know? And, uh, and next thing you know, like, they bust into the r- room next door and shit, right, you know? Mm-hmm. So you still had to go through Love, 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 Love Club to get to, the, you know, like, the Love hall. hall, you know? Right so uh, a couple bands that played there when it was still crossover was like x and was a what do you call it man wow I uh, band's escaping me but it was really amazing right and chris did a great job then he ended up renting it out to and i think eventually just closing the the bar part of it down right the club of it and then the hall was the main focus and that was howard and that was Bruce, and it was Steve I, and they were running the old ages shows there. And Tell they, me a little
0: bit of something about those guys.
1: Those know. guys were amazing, man. They were all they were all skaters, man. That was that was the roots were like their skateboarders, you know. And Steve I was this brilliant, really young guy, and he was just like used to work over here at uh, at Old Pond Community, like like you know, and he used to like you know be like. A, have all these little kids with him like he'll be teaching these kids you know like you know he was like a counselor and shit and it was really cool and he would be walking by with all these kids you know and it would be like he had this he's good. like the
0: mother duck with the baby ducks or it, it was just
1: really cool you know and you know it was really awesome and then uh and bruce I uh, forget what his profession was but uh you know everybody was working hard howard was working at the post office at the time you know everybody held a job and like you know we're were like trying to do this great thing and and sure enough, man, they had everybody there. They had everybody in the hardcore thing. They took care of all the local bands that were up and coming. If you wanted to show you got on the bill, it wasn't like it wasn't like that at all. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like even even bands that like, you know, like I know we despise like little gentlemen, they still got a slot. You know what I mean? Like So what it, was so horrible about the little gentlemen? Uh, they were a little bit fascist and, you know, they had like like just weird views and like you know like it was just like they always want to start a fight and it's like really come on like we're not here to fight you know what i mean like we're just here to have a good time you know what i mean
0: do you know what happened to any of those people
1: no nah, i don't really care you know yeah, it's yeah. like good riddance to the bad news you know right yeah you know you know but like yeah but but meanwhile bruce is out in california now steve eyes in arizona and howard's here in phil when he's running two tattoo shops one's called roomie tattoo and i forget the name of the other one and so they're doing really good and uh They'll all be at ruin, I'm sure. You know, I don't know about Steve, but I did talk to Bruce and he's coming out, you know. So, I look forward to that, man. Yeah.
0: So, I was talking about how the, the police, the interaction between police and punks, let's say, yeah. late 70s, or early 80s, you know. Uh, was there a lot of friction between the, you know, people going to shows and the people running
1: the clubs? Yeah, sometimes it would just stop you you know, and frisk you, you know what I mean? And like, you know, you really don't want to have anything on you, you know what I mean? And uh, because, you know, there was always like a, a stigmata or whatever you know like oh these guys are like it was pre-mtv you got to remember so like dressing insane or having tattoos or
0: oh yeah you're a faggot you know yeah, and
1: it's, it's it, in it, some goomb philly yeah way. man you know, oh yeah I, would, I wouldn't even go past bainbridge street man you know it was rough man we used to yes. be over here on south street and hanging in Fort myself and carlos of the italians would get out of the car and just come and fight us so and you just gotta stand there and fight them and shit you know and you're there with Baker and uh, guys from circle of shit like steve and dave and that's what he did like on Friday night, you know, because you've got to hold it on your turf, man, you can't, you know, you're not running for these guys, you know, yeah. they don't show up in their members only jackets and shit, <laughs> right. and it was even crazier, then it's like, you know, I ended up like, years later, like, in the late 80s, I ended up working at the downstairs bar, which is like at Ninth and Christian by the Giant market, and you know, I was I was, I was, was one of them, you know, I was like, you know, oh, are you I, I was, like, no, yeah, totally, yeah. Oh, oh, they, they took care of me so well, man, They, they lo- you know, now you can say gravy yeah 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 it was, it was it really took care of me it was really cool you know and uh, i'm still like thankful like i got my house through them and you know just like all, all these great st- great people man you know yeah. yeah were you
0: aware of any arrangements between the club owners and police or lni to kind of overlook things or, or any kind of like little fishy deals like that happening
1: no but i remember the byo hall which was on third street and I was a part of that, and I was instrumental in doing a couple of shows there. I got- Why don't
0: you talk a little bit about what they're, they're about, what that place was like. Is, uh,
1: well, yeah. It was a better youth organization, right? And Phil, we started the chapter, and of course it was like from the big, you know, the other thing, and it was a bunch of people that really started it. And I came in just as like, saying, all right, cool, man, it sounds great. You know, like we're gonna get a hall, and uh, I was looking to do Open a print shop in there, actually, you know, like in the space, you know what I mean? Print like,
0: shirts, uh, actually, it was going
1: to be all set, you know, printing, you know, like to do like like magazines and fanzines and stuff like that. I was looking yeah. at to do, you know, because that's what I was doing at the time, you know, so it was before I got in the, in the clothing business. And uh, so, like, the space was there. I figured that's all I was looking for. Well, I got to get a printing press for like under $1,000, you know what I mean? I'm like, you know, I like, make it happen, you know, but, uh, Sure enough, man, like as soon as we had a couple shows and everything's going really good and they built skate ramps in there and it was really like positive and it was great energy. Everyone was rehearsing in the basement and here it comes, man, you know, like, like the landlord's coming down on us, not really, but then like a limousine pulls up one day, right? And guess who's in the limousine? It's John Green, the fucking mayor, you know? He won't come out of the limo. He sends a guy in to see what we're doing. It turns out, so I talked to the guy and he goes, yeah, but the mayor wants to know what you're doing here. How crazy is that? You know, right? And I'm like, oh, you know, we're just doing this. I said, come on in. Like, check it out. We're just, everybody's working. Everybody's doing something positive, man. Yeah, like, yeah. people are hammering. And there's like, got to be worse shit going on in Philadelphia. Yeah, this not time. Yeah, right? You drive a little more north. It turns out that, like, a bunch of warriors lived, around, not lawyers, judges actually lived in Old City at the time. Which I can't really fathom, I don't know like which building they were living in, or maybe they own property. Like, but that's what they're telling me. It's not worth. You know right, and they didn't want us there, of course. You know, mm-hmm. and the only other thing and, and it was uh, the record store. You know, like uh, what we are am thinking, the record store. That's terrible, the, man. Uh, Third Street. Yeah, Third Street yeah, Jazz. Yeah, so that's yeah. the only other reason you like you'd see punks up in Old City, which yes, is yeah. For that, you know, yeah. and. Yeah. Uh, yeah right, man? And that was across the street, you know, we were up a little bit on on the other side of the street. And uh, yeah, so I knock on the the window and I, I invite John Green to come in and he wouldn't come in, he wouldn't roll down the window, you know, next thing you know, like, we got raided by a bunch of cops man like that was it man was
0: it during a show or no it was just during
1: like everybody's there and like next thing you know like ruins coming in because they were calling people on the payphone like gotta come get your equipment they're gonna bolt no so they were storing equipment
0: there they they were rehearsing there in the
1: basement and they're going to bolt bolt the doors and uh you know and it's like whoa man so like you know it was just rough man
0: so you did have some pretty great bands play there. didn't Crucifix played there. Crucifix
1: played there. That was a really cool show. That was amazing. And also, uh, I did the stickman with Informed Sources and I think the Heavens played there. And that was my build, you know, because my thing was that Sky from Sky and Jim could use the same drum kit, and and he was also in the Heavens and Informed Sources, you know. So like I was like, you know, just looking out for. I'm always about like that. <laughs> Being a roadie was like my thing, it was like, all right, this will be easy. You know? Yeah, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> yeah. So you said
0: you were do, working on uh, magazines or zines at the time?
1: Yeah, I did a magazine with, with JC from uh, the Record Exchange and, and Strapped Field Hands and it was called uh, Fear. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of more based on comic art, kind of reminiscent of Raw Magazine. Okay, right, right. So I was trying to do a version of that because I was very impressed with that magazine. You know.
0: How many did you wind up putting out? Uh, maybe like five hundred tops, you know. Uh, I mean, individual issues or. Ah, uh, we, we want, only I
1: mean, got the two issues, you know, right. and then something else happened, and then you know, you know, you're on to the next thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: cool. Uh, so, did you see throughout the uh, seventies and into earlier mid eighties, what was what was the drug scene like within the punk scene? Was there a lot of substance abuse or a lot of substances moving around? Sure,
1: man. There, there was a, a lot of weed and a lot of speed and that was about it you know like smack didn't come into play or i wasn't aware of it until later you know
0: To what late 80s or so for that or mid yeah it was
1: kind of like like mid 80s i'd say you know and like some people started using it and it was just like whoa man like dude you know you're not coming back you know like it's it's a bad path you know yeah
0: did you see a lot of people succumb to oh yeah
1: yeah i lost a lot of friends to like stuff like that and it's a shame man like one in particular was my really good friend was marty butcher and uh he got caught up in that stuff so fast and it was just like, damn, man, It just grabbed him and it, it, he couldn't shake it, man, you know? And it was just like, damn, Marty, that's that's a death of you, man. And he called me on his, like, here I am with my, my son, who's one, and you know, like, uh, I'm living over here in my house and, like, he calls me on his deathbed and he goes, you know, like, you know, like, apologizing for stealing a TV from, you know what I mean? Like, you know, so you go cop and, and he's crying and I'm like, damn, man, dude, you know, like, yeah, I forgive you, man, you know, you don't gotta go to, death with that on your conscience you know what I mean right
0: and he, he did die then
1: yeah, yeah you know and he was an amazing guitarist he was like Brian Jones he could pick up any instrument and like it was just like whoa it was fluid man you know did just,
0: he play in any bands that were, he played
1: in the Butcher Brothers which was like Indian. you know like a, a really great band it was him Steve Marasco and Jose Alvarez and it was a three-piece and they were just smoking man they were great man they played Eastside Club a bunch Marty came out of Circle of Shit which was a band that Baker fronted and you know which was a band before that was called uh the parasites there's another part of the parasites and that was rick d's band and rick d from the tritone and nicks era right yep. he was the lead singer and then brubaker stole the band away from rick d right. he stole dave marty <laughs>
0: he how, did. Brubaker, how, did, how did he steal the ba- the band members
1: brubaker was just cooler so yeah. that they, they were they were young, they were like 14 or 15, you know, like, so like, they're like, ah, oh, we're going to man, fuck you, Rick, you know, right? You know, was, that's just the way it was, you know? Yeah. And then they did one show at, what do you call it, man, at, uh, actually, so... At Love Hall, and then one guy, Willie, man, had a brilliant idea, man, he brought chocolate donuts because they were circles of shit looking like chocolate donuts, you know, uh-huh. and he's throwing them at Baker, and I just thought that was funny. And <laughs> so
0: Brubaker went on to open the, the record store, yeah, which yeah. I went to like, right. when I was kind of coming into this year. Oh, awesome. And, man. And, uh, yeah, yeah, so cool. I mean, that was around for what, like a few years, Not, it wasn't around that long, right? No, it was
1: around for like, yeah, I'd say a few years, uh, it was called Chaos Records, yeah. and uh, I ended up living upstairs from him at one point, like in the apartment up there. And I actually got a dog off Ru Baker and Kathy Mom, who previously owned this place. They were dating at the time, and they both film the, the record store, actually, you know. And uh, I got a dog, Jet, and I had him forever. It was really awesome, man. Yeah,
0: I wanted to talk to him because, you know, I, Chaos was a really neat story. I used to get a lot yeah. of stuff from them when, when I was young, and I would kind of see him as this kind of big, big, big monolithic figure. Yeah. But I've heard that he's sort of sort of disappear like he's alive but right. doesn't want to have anything to do with anything or do you know anything about yeah
1: Bruce just being reclusive and I get it and I, you know uh, I'll be happy to give you his phone number you know cause uh, yeah I'd like that, he yeah. doesn't he doesn't have an email or nothing and uh, you can reach out to him and see if we'll talk to you but uh, I I have a photo of me and him like that I took recently but he stopped in downstairs he does electrical work here you know so like he comes in once in a while
0: yeah yeah I talked to uh, Chuck Meehan and he mentioned that he was doing the electrical work and, yeah um, uh, yeah, I'd like to, I mean, we'll talk about it later. Yeah, Chuck but, uh, reached uh, yeah.
1: out to me, to, to, I gave Chuck the number also, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I'd like to talk to him about Awesome. And see what happens with that. Cool. Sure. Um, so you've, you've consistently remained interested in punk from, you know, from the very beginning to the present. So what is it that's kind of kept you involved in this scene for so many years?
1: It's just like, you know, there's nothing like a good show. There's, like, what else are you going to do on a Friday night or Saturday night? And that was the best thing about, like, Love Hall. You could go there... Then you could catch a show at D Side Club, you know, like it was just like, there's just so much going on. It was like a pinball machine. So like back with Bobby and stuff that I started printing the flyers for like East Side Club, you know, that like Bobby were designing before Matt Morelli started designing the flyers. And then uh, I was getting a better price than they were getting, you know, cause I was working in a print shop. So like I was on the guest list all the time. It was just amazing, you know, me and my girlfriend Diane, like, you know, all the time, it was just like, you know, you only need beer money then. It was just, it was just like perfect. And, uh, then I started up hanging up the flyers for, for, for Bobby, so I was getting paid on top of it, man. So then it was just like, you know, great, man. And then, you know, it turned into being like, I kind of monopolized on that for a long time, because then I was hanging the flyers for the Kennel Club, I was designing the flyers for the Kennel Club, and then I started doing Revival. And I wasn't designing flyers for Revival, but I was hanging the flyers for Revival because I was covering up their flyers with the Eastside Club and, and, and the Kennel Club, <laughs> right. and they're like, Bobby's startup. As a brilliant guy, he goes we well, should just have Dennis <laughs> hang along, you know. So like, was
0: there competition yeah. between these different clubs who were doing the punk shows, or, yeah. or the people who were doing the? I mean, yeah,
1: everybody knew everybody. Everybody like, you know, it was just, you know, of course Bobby, Bobby was like, you had Wee Paris doing a lot of stuff, you know. We we was pretty active, and he could get. We brought in the Johnny Funders for like like one of the like best shows ever at, at the Kennel Club, which was. Uh, Johnny Funders, man on a Wednesday night it was it was Valentine's and it was open bar night and that that's pretty huge man you know so it was like open bar and you paid like you know ten dollars to get in right
0: yeah.
1: and you got Johnny Funders and I, that was that's yeah. all yeah. cost you know yeah. it's like like how crazy is that man, yeah, you know? That is pretty pretty yeah <laughs> you know and it was just amazing Johnny just came back from France he was all revigorized he was in great shape Sylvain, like he so he was
0: not currently uh, addicted to any he was, you know,
1: he was you know he was still but he wasn't out of his mind you know he was yeah. really. Top form. He had these two Jamaican cats with him. This is when he came out with K Sarasera and which is a really great record, a real rock and roll like 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 Stones record, you know? And uh the Jama- they had a great like, you know, and then he came down Sylvain Sylvain came down like to play keyboards and it was just an amazing set. It was so cool, you know.
0: Did so, you interact with any of these folks? In the sure, game? I
1: knew Johnny Johnny was awesome, man. Johnny, Johnny was like wow and Johnny was everything to me, like, you know, like that's you know, I had to drummer, it's Johnny Funders for me, man, you know, and it's like, yeah. you know, and, and, and then meet him and, and then know him and it was just real like amazing. Like when they played Revival, Johnny was so cool and he's like, Dennis, Dennis, come here, come here, man, you know, like and he kicks he kicks <laughs> He kicks, what do you call it, man, like, uh, fuck, man, who's the bass player, man, you know, like, fucking it, we kept the past, but, uh, you know, like, uh, Arthur, man, right, Arthur, get up, man, let Dennis sit there, <laughs> what's going on, Dennis, like, you know, like, is anything going on around here, like, Johnny's looking for some, like, kind of drugs, and I'm like, <laughs> right. I might you some weed, Johnny, he goes, all right, all right, man, you know, like, you know, so, you know, come back, and we smoke some weed with Johnny, and, you know, he's all good, you know, and he's just, he's just an artist, like, when he's there, man, Nobody can touch him, man. He's he's everything. Yeah, that
0: guy's like a hundred percent. He's a yeah.
1: crooner. He can do it all, man. You know, he can do do a lot of stuff. Like nobody. he he's just like brilliant, man. You know, he's just like, and he can do the rock and roll, and he can play that like Keith Richards guitar style, and it's like the Chuck Berry amplified, and just like, I'm just loving the death, man. You know. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So it seems like for some people, at least when they talk about the birth of punk, they consider it a sort of year zero, where everything before it is kind of disregarded and all that matters is this thing that's happening now and then moving forward. But I think in talking to a lot of people, they have a clear connection to oh. the different points
1: in like totally. rock, rock and roll. Totally, know, man. It's, in. it's at uh, 69, Rolling Stones, at Madison Square Garden, get your guy eyes out. The guitar sound that Keith Richards gets off that guitar right there at that moment, you know, when he's doing the Chuck Berry covers and even the Stones covers, there's a sound that Johnny Funders end up playing with the dials. So, that dial sound that Johnny Funders is playing is what Steve Jones even admits to, like taking mm-hmm. for all the fucking Pistols riffs, you know? Yeah. And that's kind of the sound there I love, man. It's like the big open fucking, you know? Like, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, personally,
0: I like the idea of a continuum better than yeah. anything else, that it's all just different incarnations sure. of yeah, similar man. things. And
1: yeah. Everybody came from somewhere, man. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, like, Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: So did you see uh, a lot of violence moving through the Philadelphia scene, or were there times where the the scene was more or less violent?
1: Sometimes, you know, there would be like, like skinheads would come off from D.C. You'd have like these certain crews, and it was kind of an element. And you know, you could see it coming, you could feel it in the air. It wasn't nothing. You know, I'm from North Philly, so like you know, I, you know, I'm not even blinking at you. You know what I mean? Like you know, like you know, I'm not from the suburbs. You know. But, you know, they would come up and try to intimidate, you know, and I'm like, get the fuck out of here, man, you know? Like, you know, like, you know, like, I don't care if you hit me, you know, like, but, you know, you, you're not going to make me blink, you know? Yeah.
0: <laughs> were there rivalries between some of the cities or parts of, like, sections of people within the cities?
1: There, there was weird stuff going down, like, you know, like, like, certain people. We were a really good community, though. I, I got to say something about, like, the original scene of Philadelphia. You knew everybody on the scene. Everybody knew everybody. Everybody had everybody's back. It was kind of us against everybody outside of the scene you know and it wasn't like that we were like fighting everybody outside of the scene but like we had everybody's back because people would be fucking with you. I remember I was living with Marty Butcher this is just a random story we we're living out in West Philly and with Billy Bradfield who had a, a big house at 48th in Baltimore this is early 80s pre-MTV also. You were at 48th in Baltimore? Yeah. yeah. My
0: brother was there I wonder, I wonder what exact house. Do you remember the number? No I, I could point it out I think you know yeah, yeah you
1: know and it was on 48th and uh, we had a big house and I remember like me and Marty taking the bus back into town and it was winter time man and he had a mohawk I had my head shaved and we got such a rap of shit from everybody on the bus I was shocked, you know I was like fuck you know like I expect this from like you know like white folks and shit they like think we're gonna steal their daughter and shit (laughs) but like for the black community to turn their back on us like that I was devastated man I was just like Unbelievable. You
0: didn't realize you had the soul of a black man in there.
1: I'm telling you, that summer, bang. We came right back into town, we got girls on South Street, we were both hooked up with like, you know, apartments, and we are like, fuck West Philly, man. And, and I'm not a big fan of West Philly anymore, you know? I, I, I Well, West Philly
0: has gone some, undergone some pretty dramatic, both with the university, and then with a the number of like, more progressive-minded. I
1: always went out for shows, and there was a lot of house shows, and there was a lot of stuff going on, but I always had that feeling where like, you know, I always felt disconnected, and uh, you see the skyline of the city over here, and West Philly's over there. It's kind of being in Normal Liberties, where I, I feel disconnected. Can't walk somewhere and be somewhere, you know. Like and for me to be somewhere, it's got to be in the center of the city, you know, yeah, and, yeah. or be a part of it, you know, be able to walk to it, or like you know, like I, I feel disconnected. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. just me, you know. But yeah, no, I understand that. <laughs> yeah.
0: So for a city that produced as many amazing bands as Philly did, it never really came to the prominence of. New York, up there, D.C., down there. And why do you you think that that is?
1: Well, you know, what's crazy is, like, everything stemmed out of the Philadelphia record label, Red Records, right? Mm -hmm. So, they signed the Stickmen first, right? And that that was for the second release. Actually, the first release of the Stickmen was on Phantom Plaything, which was Bob Dickey's record label. The second release was on Red Records, I think. I might be wrong now, man. All right, but anyway, so, so Red Records signed the Stickmen. Stickman turned Richard Richard onto Bunny Drums. Bunny Drums get signed by Red Records, right? I go to Richard, right, man? I said, Richard, let's put out a compilation, hardcore compilation, right? So me and Eddie Hacksaw worked on that, and we got that out, man. What right? was
0: that called? And yeah, get,
1: your, get your backs out. No, no, get, get off our back. Get off our back, yeah. Yeah, that wasn't my title, but, you know, I don't know. Really dig that, but I mean, <laughs> I, lo- I love the artwork that like Liz did though, man. I lo- that's really cool, you know, because it shows a progression of every like place that we've been, you know. But uh, and uh, but uh, yeah, ruins on there from sources. I got everybody on their FFD. Why die? And the thing was, and he Richard comes to me like, all right, I got enough money in the budget to release two bands. Like, who can I do, you know? Put out full length, you know. I'm like, well, you got to do ruin. That's a given, you know. There's no way around that, man. You know, we have to do ruin, you know and the second band was the grad because i felt you know like right now what's going on in the scene was we parish has got a job at this radio station called wi-fi which is on the fm dial but it's like close to mmr and so it's like a the new wave kind of thing mm-hmm. and all the kids are skating and i'm like these guys are great man like this could be the breakout band or fucking like 15 They're like age of eater you know remember the, you know no, yeah, yeah. you know so they had that all going on you know and i was like you know like, we gotta do these guys, you know, like, you know? Of course, everybody hates me for that, like F.O.D. and Y.D.I. and all those guys, but hey, you know, like,
0: I was just trying to- but because they wanted the record to be Oh, well, I'm sure, you
1: know, but yeah. I'm just, I'm just trying to build the scene up. I'm trying to make, yeah. like, start sparking fire, you know what I mean? Like, but make it happen, but I remember when Ruin came out with that that first LP, it was like, oh, Germany take 400, France took 500, we're like, what the fuck? This is huge, man, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, this is amazing, you know? And then, you know, like, I did the insert for Ruin for that LP, and Richard, like, fucked me over on, 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 like, you know, the pay on it, you know, and I'm like, well, what the fuck, like, I just did all this compilation, it's, I got like, two bands, you know, you make making money, hand over fist, and you can't even pay me for the insert, I do why do you think he did that, I mean, out of greed, or, or, yeah, what? just being a jerk-off, he was a southern guy, he wasn't from Philly, he was from Atlanta, you know, so he had, like, Cooking you planets. know, you know, so, like, you know, like, what happened with that was, I was working at Skins at the time, and, you know, I finally said, you know what? You know, like I made the phone call to his house and Richard wasn't there and his mother was there, right? And this is pretty cell phones and I was like, yo, like yo, Richard said I could come by and pick up a check and she goes, Oh, Richard's not here right now and I was like, Oh, well it's only four hundred dollars and so she wrote a check. I took the I took a bus out to the suburbs. Everybody's skin says, You're not gonna get paid, you're not gonna get paid. Bang, I got the check. I took it back to Sal, who owns skins, he cashed it right there on the spot for me, man, you know. And it was like oh, hey, richard was so pissed man he was so pissed i got the money like i got <laughs> off his mother too which was like fucking brilliant and fucking, sure enough then it like a bunny drums and uh, new year's show at funk dungeon you know like we got into it man like we got we had a big fight man like you know like and uh i mean like it was a physical fight so i you know thank god for jeff wilson like was there and like br- broke it up man because you know like I took a bottle and I cracked it over Richard's head, you know. So, hey, you came at me. You don't go to jail. He came at me and it was yeah. like, you know, like, you know, like, guess what, man? You owe me $400 and I got it. So, like, you know, and, like, it was, you know, all the stuff I did for him was, like, you know, on the compilations and all that stuff, man. You know, it was like crazy, man. What happened to him? No idea, you know. I, you know, nobody even knows, you know. Like, you know, everybody just moved on without him, man. You know? Yeah. That,
0: yeah. It seems like Philly didn't have an actual, a, a label. Aside from that, that really, a lot of the Philly bands seemed to come out on little labels and maybe they were their own or their right. friends, so there wasn't like a discord, say, no. you know. No, no, there wasn't, you know. Something that kind of drew the whole scene together.
1: Being with the Butcher Brothers, I remember we were down in D.C. because we opened for GBH here in Philadelphia. They were playing the next day down D.C. We all drive down, it was me, Marty, Steve, Marasco, Jose Alvarez, and Robin from uh, Serial Killers and, uh, and what was the other band then? but you know, the beautiful Robin and she was going out party at the time and we went to the Discord house and we dropped off the demo, you know, it was like, uh, you know, just cause that's, you know, Discord, yeah yeah, Discord <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, And the other thing with us was, with the Butcher Brothers was Clay Records, you know, which came out with Discharge right. and Mike Stone was the producer of all these great records. So we would get him on the phone. We would call him, like, like girls' houses and shit. We'd call up England and, and like, you know, we tracked him down to his house. We even got his house number and shit. So we're like, Mike, you gotta come to Philly. You gotta record us, man. You know, right, you know, right? yeah. Did, did he come to Philly? No, he never came to Philly. But the fact was that like were, we were like, you know, he loved the fact that we were like, bothering the fuck out, you know? Yeah, yeah. He goes, you come on over, I'll do it. You know, and like, you know, it was just like, you know, it was really cool. Yeah.
0: Uh, I think what makes Philly interesting band-wise is that all, a lot of these bands sounded really different um, so I suppose in a way that kind of worked against Philly because it didn't have a Philly sound. Right. But then in another way, for those who could enjoy it, these bands weren't all clones of each other. No, uh, no. And they had, I mean, the, yeah, the bands could be so so very different all operating within the same scene and probably yeah. all supporting each other, you know, going to see each other. Oh, like yeah.
1: That. Yeah, it was a very tight-knit community and everybody did have a very unique sound. Like, there's still nothing out there that sounds like The Stickman. There's still nothing out there that sounds like Ruin, you know what I mean? Like. You Neil know, from from Whitey does something that like nobody can really like emulate or ch- you know what I mean. Like, look, yeah. did you see the
0: footage that just went up of eye at the Drexel band bash from '83? No, man. Uh, sure. It just appeared just a couple days ago. It's a really well shot footage of them performing outdoors oh, really? at the Drexel band bash in 1983. Awesome. So you've got the punks jumping on each other's yeah. heads. You've got the Drexel security guys like looking and yeah. looking completely befuddled at this man going crazy. Yeah, it doesn't go on. Crazy. Yeah. and then there's just the normals kind of walking by like. Up. Yeah <laughs> right. Great. Yeah, and the footage is great because it's really clean and, the, and there's close-ups. You can see all the audience members. I think they played that good. show too, right, was uh, What's that? Did Ru play that show too? Uh, I th- there's a whole list of other bands that oh, played, really? it and they, okay. they may well have been one of them. But awesome, that was the man. only footage that, that I saw that went up there. I think yeah. Chuck Meehan, uh pointed it out on Facebook uh, and oh, so cool. on.
1: You should take a look. It's awesome. I'll great. do it, Yeah, uh, that's great, man. So good, man. So now,
0: 2013. Still involved and you're involved in a huge project that was just announced, uh, the Ruin show, the Ruin right. Reunion Show. Yeah. Now Ruin hasn't played since about the ninety six. Okay, that's been yeah. a long time. Um, so do you want to explain a little bit about how that came together? I know we talked about it, but right. just for the for Well,
1: this. It's been buzzing for a bit that everybody wanted to go out with a with, a, with a, like in a nice bow and like, you know, and get hold of this documentary that was been floating around and really laid the testament of like this is what is and was and like a really big part of like uh, Philadelphia and a big part of like a lot of people's hearts that were like uh, part of the scene, you know. Just to like say like, all right, you know, because we never got to do in that hardcore thing. They barely talked to Howard, you know. Like, Howard has a hundred stories, man. Like hey, they must have got Howard on the cutting room floor because I'm sure Howard talked for an hour or so, you know. Yeah. You know, like you know, and uh, so for, for, for us to do this is going to be like the most spectacular thing. We got startup. Bobby Startup. Who and Bobby changed the whole music scene in Philadelphia, man, you know? Like, talk about connecting the dots. Bobby worked at, like, Electric Factory as a stagehand, you know? Went on to the hot club to be the first DJ to, to like, use one, like, one, one, like you know, one turntable and put it on the next 45, the next 45, and just, like, you know, to make a scene happen and book the bands and, you know, to go on to the Eastside Club and take that over. and. And now, like that, Bobby and Bob—he you know, was such a great, real supporter, and like you know, like really loved the band and, and believed in them. And so now he's going to like do this great set list for us, and all the bands that are involved with this whole thing, is just like people that believe in everything, man, it's like really cool, man. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, I, I usually don't like reunions because I tend to think that people do them for the wrong reason, which, right. which is money or nostalgia. Yeah. Um, but when I talk to the Ruin guys for the other interviews, I really uh, appreciated the fact that they're they're very brimming with enthusiasm, they're really smart, and they seem uh. to be really driven and creative, so it's I expensive. don't get the sense that like, they're doing this because they need the money. It's no. like for their drug habit or something. No. Or they're like, oh, what, they wish it was 1981 all over again. No, there's a, there's the, a
1: progressive, you the, know, these the, like the, the, Those cats are brilliant. Like, they, they can outbook anybody like that. You know, I, you, you could, like, put up against anybody, you know? Like, uh, like, like, book-wise, you know, like, I'm just street smart. I'm not, like, book-wise at all, you know what I mean? I'm just, you know, but uh, it's, it's all about the spirit of the whole thing, and it's about the spirit of, like, what happened and, uh, you know like and it's just show like everybody else that, like like you know it's a you know we're not dianos and we're apollonian you know and this is it you know mm-hmm. yeah
0: it's great. I'm really, I'm really glad this is yeah. happening. Yeah. It. it's really cool. Yeah, I think that you'll find that a lot of young people from Philadelphia have have an interest in the city's history. You know, uh, also just come into the city or have been Oh, uh, it's for- huge.
1: And I, I'm also involved. I do this other event with Patty Hubert, like who's a good friend of mine. She used to be Patty Beverino F- uh, and we do when the punk's go marching in, and that was an event that we started a couple years ago to commemorate commemorate South Street's 30th reunion. 40th reunion as like for the hippies, right? So the hippies were gonna do a South Street reunion and they had like a weekend planned out. And I was like, you know what? Fuck that. The punks are gonna do a 30th reunion on the same time, right? We blew them the fuck out of the water. We had like 300 people up here, right where we're at right now, tattoo moms. We had like, oh my God, it was crazy. Dan Kelly DJing. We had like, it, w- it was over the top, man. We had so many people here flew in from all over like the States and everything, man. It was like, right, Becky Wreck came in. Like, you know, like everybody from California, and it was just like, it was over the top. And you can find it all on the Facebook page, and we, we still do it now. We even incorporate a live music. And our last show, we had Y Die, FOD, Freddie from the Immaculate Hearts, and his new band. And it was just like truly amazing, you know.
0: I imagine when people come in who haven't been to Philly for a long time and see South Street in his current incarnation, it's probably a bit of, a, of an eye opener for them.
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, it's been
0: on a, a precipitous decline for a long yeah, time. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's, it's it's really it's really sad. But if you go up to New York and you see St. Mark's Place, that's in the same boat. Or you walk by CBGBs up there, and it's like you know, like there's stuff that you can't stop, you know, like. But if you walk in here, look, look the spirits, yeah, but, yeah, the yeah, spirits alive in here, you know, and it's like, yeah. and, and Robert, who owns this place, is is a great ally and yeah. like you know, like you do stuff and you know you go down Hesse down to Dobbs and will let you do something, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. and you can talk to Sean from R5, and, you know, you can really, you know, you gotta search and destroy, but you can do it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, The spirit's there, you just gotta, like, you know, know, make some noise and, you know, people come out for it, you know? Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I guess just to sum it up, so you're there at the beginning of this thing in in the late 70s, and then consistently through the years, and you see young people come into this, um, you know, Ten, twenty, thirty 20 30 years or more down the line what do you think it is why does this still speak to young people and doesn't seem like something of a, of a bygone era you know like, why uh, do you still see people cool. who dress in a way that you dressed in the 70s right.
1: and in the early 80s today it's part of the spirit again you know it's 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 you know the music the spirit the fashion it it all goes hand in hand like you know and it's like you know, I, 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 the hardcore kids are like, all right, well, we just dress like this. And it's like, all right, cool. You just dress like a jock. I get it. Like, you got their style. I get that, too. You know, you don't got their style, motherfucker. <laughs> but, you know, like, fashion's a big part of it. And, like, like, you know, and like, you know, like, come on, man. You know, like, like, you know, it ain't Savoy Royal, but it is King's Road, you know. And it is, like, South Street. And South Street's known for, like, you know, like, like, skins and the zipper head and blacks and, like, trash and wall when they were here. And, like, that really makes it, Makes it good, man, you know, and like, you know, like, you should get dressed up to go out, and like, to the pub, and you should, you know, like, take your girl out, and, you, you know, and they like, it, like you, know, you should be dressed in the nines, and I believe in that, I think that's, yeah. like, amazing, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Super. Well, thank you very much for talking to me.
0: Oh, uh, ah, cheers. I it's dope. really really uh, an honor. Cool. cool. So, Is that good, man?